Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. There's always got to be one, and it's normally Kurt. Well, it's good to be together. Hope y'all had a great uh, fourth uh, last week. It's good to be back together. Um, we are going to continue in Mark 11. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles there. But before we do, uh, the Psalms, um, you know, there's 150 of them. They're divided up into five books. And the intent behind that is to mirror the first five books of the Bible. Uh, that, that's like the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the heart of Israel's faith. And to put that to song and to prayer, that is why these psalms were put. There were more than 150 psalms that were written, right? But they put these together intentionally, and they ordered them intentionally. And so if you know uh, anything about the, the, the psalms, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, right? And what is its central focus? Psalm 119. The law of the Lord, the word of God, the, the story of God, right? Um, so just exonerates the word, right? Well, it's interesting. Then the next section, Psalms 120 through 135, 34, 134. Psalm 20 through 134, they are a section of the Psalms called the Songs of Ascent. So three times a year, all the Israelites were instructed to go to Jerusalem. Up. Up. That's right. Everything, you know, Jerusalem is the center of the, of, of the Israelite world. And so, you know, whenever, like if we're going to go to Amarillo, we're going to say we're going to go up to Amarillo. Well, if you're in this, if you're south of Jer- Jerusalem, you're going to go up to Jerusalem. If you're north of Jerusalem, you're going to go up to Jerusalem. Everything is, you go up, right? So just when you read the scripture, you'll notice that. And they were going up to Jerusalem. It's always up. Well, these songs of ascents, when they were making these pilgrimages three times a year, these would be the songs that they would sing. So it's interesting when you read and pray through these 15 psalms, what the focus is. Focus is on God and going to his house. And the focus is on all of God's people going to his house. Remember when we started the book of Mark a long time ago? Um, and Kurt used this, uh, this Hebrew word, basora. Remember that? It's kind of the, how, uh, gospel that's the Uan Gileon in Greek and gospel in English. Those are all the same words. And in essence, that word is this, this sense of not just Jewish people going to Jerusalem, but the whole world. That Jerusalem and the temple especially, when you think of, when we think about the temple in scripture, in the back of your mind, you're supposed to have the Garden of Eden in the back of your mind. Um, it is this returning back to the goodness of the Garden. 
to God's presence. And that is for everyone. And so um, it's interesting that the writers of the Psalms of Ascents leave that part out. And um, there's a struggle. Genesis chapter... Uh, golly, my mind is not working good this morning, y'all. 12. Genesis chapter 12. That's when God calls Abraham. Calls this one person that's going to be the father of this one nation? Many nations. That's right. That he is going to, God is going to bless him and make his name great to be a blessing to all the nations. That is the original calling for the, for the Hebrew Israelite Jewish people. And, um, I wonder if Pastor Kurt's not here, right? So I could say my bit. The Old Testament, in my opinion, reads like a tragedy. Like a what? A tragedy. Like read the book of Judges, like we've been doing on Sunday morning, and it's just, it's just, it's tragedy. And I wonder if Israel, they turn to other gods so quickly because they forget their calling. To be a light to the nations. And this is what Jesus gets so geared up about. And why Jesus' ministry was so fundamentally different from other people that had come before him. And so we're going to be digging into that uh, today as he goes to the temple. And uh, begins to have some serious conversations with people about the purpose of that place. So before we do... I'm going to pray with us, Psalm 133 and 134. They're both very short um, as we open our hearts uh, to the Lord together. Let's pray. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so go ahead and turn to Mark eleven fifteen. Pastor Kurt had gotten you to this point. Um, Jesus had uh, entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, He had cursed a fig tree and then returned. uh, He spent the night before he got to the temple. And um, now he gets to the temple. Uh, One of the things that Kurt and I were talking about yesterday, it's like... In, at least in Mark, it seems as if there's this cooling off period. 
you know, all of this excitement, all of this uh, um, fanfare with Jesus coming into town. Um, there's this cooling off period. And so this is Monday morning of Holy Week that Jesus comes back to the temple. On reaching Jerusalem, because remember he spends the night across of the east of Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley, uh, across the uh, on the on the east side of the Mount of Olives is where they're spending the night. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. All right. What seems to be curiously missing in your like collective memory of that story? Yeah, the whip. Every gospel talks about this story. Every one of them. There's only one that mentions the whip. And that's the main thing we remember. Isn't that interesting? John's gospel is the one that mentions the whip. Uh, John... He, he adds details that, uh, the other, and I, and I think what it is, you know, John is later. Uh, the Gospel of John is later. Uh, there was this urgency to get these things written down because the disciples were dying. So they're trying to get this stuff written down. And so there's, look, there's quite a bit of time between, uh, that passes between Luke and John. I just think it's a, a, a lifetime of reflection, you know, because John, you know, uh, tradition says that he lived longer than any of the other apostles. So he just had a lot more time to reflect and to say, hey, this was important, and so I'm going to add it to my gospel. Um, but it is missing here. Um, but what's not missing is the people that Jesus is going after. The ones who are doing the buying. The ones who are doing the selling. The ones who are doing the money changing. The ones who are just using the temple as a market. Um, this is just a few years. Um, they basically people would the 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 command was to bring a lamb uh that was a year old without blemish for the passover right and normally that what what this would happen you would do this at home but now this celebration had moved to Jerusalem and for years these lambs would be sold out in the mountain mount of olives and the uh, leaders of the temple, you know, like uh, church leaders often do, they try to figure out a way to raise more money. Right? Go ahead and say it, Ed. <laughs> Thank you. It makes me feel good that you don't know what you're talking about, right? And and so, so they move this enterprise from the Mount of Olives to the temple itself. Well, all sorts of things start happening when you do that. Uh, what kind of money were these Jewish people carrying around with them? Roman money. Nothing with a Roman image could come into the temple. 
So, you've got to exchange the money for shekels. When you go to Israel now, that's that's their currency is the shekel, right? So you got to change it for shekels. Well, if you've done any world traveling, I mean, as much as things change, things stay the same. You've got to exchange your money. And they do that for free, right? Yeah, no, they don't. No. So, so they're upcharging for the animals. They're doing all of this. They got to, they change the money because you can't have Roman money in the temple. And it's just, Rome is doing a good enough job extracting their wealth. And now, the very people that are in charge of helping people to make sure they stay connected to God, their their leaders, they're just piling it on. And Jesus doesn't like it. It's interesting, when you read it carefully, he's also frustrated that people are willing. Because you, you only are able to do something if people are willing participants in it. And so it's like they give, the people have like resigned themselves to the fact, I gotta do this or God's gonna be mad. And so I guess I better do it. And so, uh, Jesus, he goes to Jerusalem this last week of his life in some ways to pick a fight. He's been, uh, Things that he has said uh, earlier in the Gospels has upset the religious leaders, quote-unquote, religious leaders. Uh, but it's almost as if he's going to Jerusalem to have a showdown with them. Because, not just for a fight's sake, but to say, look, the way in which that you are leading and arranging your lives and our people's lives is actually robbing people of life. And I've come that you may have life and have it full. And so here he is. Okay. So he's, so he, he is definitely making a scene. Whip or no, he is making a scene. All right. <clears throat> yeah. Are there any, ta- are there any tables here either? Yeah. Overturn the tables. Yep. Yeah. 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 Something like that. That's right. Okay. So remember, back to, you know, back to what I said about the Psalms. Psalm 119 is centered on the Word of God. And then these Psalms of Ascents, getting people prepared to go and celebrate these festivals in Jerusalem. And so, so Jesus then does all of this crazy stuff. He makes this scene and he teaches. He's going to give clarity to those who are willing to listen why he is doing what he is doing. And he taught them saying, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The last thing that any Jew wanted was for anyone who was not a Jew to be in the temple. 
just facts. Um, barrier after barrier was put up. There was a court for the Gentiles where they could enter, but they could only get so close, right? And so what Jesus is doing is he is quoting from Isaiah 56. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, verse 7. So not only does this show Jesus' mastery of the Old Testament, but again, he's not just quoting this passage, this one verse. He's quoting the context all around it, right? So uh, let me just start reading. Ah, uh, yeah, some, I'll, I'll just start reading in verse 1 of Isaiah 56, and I'll, we'll go over here. All right, here we go. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. And my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast. Who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. All right? And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus the Lord, for, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the thing that please, that please me, and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Just note, that in the um, in the Torah, I believe it's Leviticus, uh, maybe Deuteronomy, one of those two. There is a law that strictly forbids eunuchs from entering the temple. The the words actually are are words that that are dismembered or uh, or crushed in the groin, something along those lines. So that's what the law says. So it seems like keeping eunuchs out of the temple would be a good thing. Maybe. But here, is God changing his mind? I don't know. Something to ponder. I will give him my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. We've been at this a while. Whenever you read the word servants, um, what are you supposed to think of? Say that again? Oh, very good. Washing feet. I love it. Remember? Anybody? Anybody? Come on. God took the man, Adam, and placed him in the garden to what? Avad and Shamar, serve and protect. Right? It's not just that we're called to be 
God's servants to do his beck and call. But it's like we're created in God's image to serve. And remember, the essence of serving is bringing forth life where there is none. Remember, the like the picture of serving is taking a head of grain, rubbing it together, and the grain falls. You gather it up, crush it down, you make bread, you eat the bread. Life is given, right? L'chaim, it's life, it's bread, it's the same word uh, in Hebrew. So when you read these words, servant, all these words in Isaiah, the servant words in Isaiah, they're all of odd. Same word as in Genesis chapter 2. Powerful, powerful stuff. Which is why Jesus talks about himself being a servant. Which is why Jesus calls, says, the greatest among you is servant of all. Everyone. And when people are showing up to the temple, they're being pushed away. And Isaiah is saying, no, no, no. The ones who are most pushed away, eunuchs and foreigners, they're welcome. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. If you think about the temple and the Garden of Eden, um, there's just so many things that you're supposed to draw together in your mind. The Garden of Eden was a place of connection with God. Would you agree with that? That there the presence of God was. I believe the inference that you're supposed to draw is that when God shows up in the cool of the day to walk and to talk with Adam and Eve, that what he is doing is he is dispensing wisdom to them. But they get tired of waiting, and so that's why they go and grab the fruit. Remember, Eve said it was pleasing to the eye and good for food and good for obtaining wisdom. Right? And so, uh, it's this place then of connection with God, nearness with God, and the rest of the scripture just bears this out. If God is with us, nothing can be against us. Right? So, this is what is happening. It is God's presence. And this is like what prayer, the essence of prayer is. Is recognizing and responding to the presence of God and allowing God to teach us. I think that's a good summary of prayer. What do you think? It's not for us to manipulate God. It's not for us to give God this long list of the things that we need. But it's like, God... I completely and utterly trust your presence. Trust your teaching. I'm here and I'm ready to listen. Stephen, yes. Given that when Isaiah was writing this, they were in exile. That is correct. Is this maybe an attempt to uh, open the, the temple, not the temple in Jerusalem, but now the uh, 
synagogues in Babylon in order to not be completely shut out. It's opening it up a little bit. I think that I think that's always the struggle with Israel. It's they they were so they're so often marginalized, right? And when people are marginalized, you turn inward. It's like you gotta like the human our our broken human nature is to protect ourselves, to fight for ourselves, to um Make sure that ourselves are okay. And because, and so it's like, it's almost like I get it. I get it why they don't like the Romans. The Romans are, are just being punitive towards them. I get it. But it's like, wait a second. <laughs> whenever they started, whenever these followers of Jesus actually got it after the resurrection, in 300 years, the main religion of the of the empire was Christianity. Are you kidding me? Nobody saw that one coming. Nobody. Why? Because those Christians started serving the Romans. This is what happens, and this is how it works. That when people who are being hurt by others serve them, transformation happens. So it goes on, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. And so when Jesus is quoting this passage in Isaiah, he's channeling all of that. He's channeling the Besorah. He is channeling that this is the purpose of me bringing salvation not just to the Jews, but to the whole world. It's to draw everyone back to myself, back to a place of connection and growing in the wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. No, go ahead. So Deuteronomy 23, where it talks about, it says, may not be admitted easily in the Lord. And then it even goes on to the list, the legitimate bird may not be admitted easily in the Lord. No Ammonite, no Abide, their descendants may be admitted easily. Is that not what? a compliment? Isaiah? What do you think? So this is where it's like, Brent, I mean, you, you, you have to draw the conclusion that there seems to be some sort of contradiction here. Does God want these people worshiping Him or not? Connecting with Him or not? So, uh, kind of my uh, go-to statement when you come to these things is, and that's why we have to meditate on the Scripture. Right? It's like... And maybe go there in Deuteronomy and read all the stuff around in the context and try to try to get a sense of what the Lord is saying there. Uh, then go to Isaiah and and work through that, and it's like a lifetime of reflecting. And one of the things that uh, we're, we often teach about Jesus is that you know, like in Hebrews, 
Let's just turn over to Hebrews real quick. I really got on to Kurt for only getting through like 14 verses in two weeks. And then here we are. Brent was the same way with Kurt, though. Oh, that's good. That's good. Brent asked great questions. All right. Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And a lot of that is written down. A lot of that's the Old Testament, right? Okay. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So one thing that we say about Jesus because of passages like this is that that Jesus gives us clarity as to who the nature and character of, as to what the nature and character of God is. So, Brett, as Christians, wrestling with these texts, Jesus doesn't quote the passage in Deuteronomy about eunuchs. But this one he does. Acts. In the book of Acts, one of the people that gets ministered to um, is by Philip is an Ethiopian eunuch. <laughs> and guess what passage he quotes? This one from Isaiah. He uh he he he's gone up to the temple to worship from Ethiopia. That's a good trip, right? Making your way up there. And but guess how close he was able to get? Only so close. Because he was a eunuch. And then when Philip comes along, he's like, hold on. Um, this very one, um, th- this, this sense that you have of being cut off, literally being cut off, uh, the one who can save your soul, he's right there with you because he's been cut off from his people too. It's amazing. It's an amazing passage. Ken. And another thing to consider is in Matthew 19, in the context of marriage and divorce, Jesus seems to validate eunuchs, and he's just referring to them as there are those who have been eunuchs from birth, those who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are those who have made themselves eunuchs for the purpose of the kingdom. Yeah. That's also interesting. Very good, Ken. Yeah. So, the scripture is clear and straightforward. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> uh, and don't ever let people try to tell you that. This book is complicated. We are trying to learn this stuff over 2,000 plus years removed when it happened. Cultures removed, language removed. But man, by the grace of God, and a lot of uh, reflecting and meditating on it, we get there. 
And so, like the process of interpretation, when Jesus is starting to unpack one of these verses, for me, I'm going to it and trying to lean in to what Jesus is saying because of what uh, somebody like the writer of Hebrews is saying. He is an exact rep. Sometimes people miss it, right? And um, hopefully we can get some clarity as we seek to interpret the Scripture through the lens of Jesus. You brought up Ethiopia. It's interesting in the Coptic Christian both faith in Ethiopia, which all starts with the eunuch that you described. Yep. They're, they approach the Bible almost the reverse of we do. They find ways for the New Testament to fit the Old Testament. Oh. Rather than us using the New Testament and looking for things in mm. the Old Testament to support it. Because they are so locked on the history first. Yeah. Because it came to them mm. the way it did. And then the following, the following of Jesus just became natural. They lived it, basically. Yeah. Very good. Wow. All right. So hopefully you've learned something. Oh, go ahead, Marvin. Marvin's last question concerning Sunday's sermon presented in the early service. He talked about in Judges God not wanting human sacrifices. Oh man, I love the question. I love it because that's that's where a lot of people go. It's like clear Old Testament, clear. But God will ne- God God actually abhors human sacrifice. Question: Did God sacrifice His Son Jesus? No. No. There you go. There you go. So He didn't. God did not sacrifice His Son. Jesus says, I, I freely lay down my life and I could take it up again. It is Jesus who gave his life. Uh, God did not sacrifice him. The Father did not sacrifice him. So, I think that's the difference, Marvin. But that, see, this is, this, this is such important way. We've got to wrestle with these questions that come up. Uh, so good job. You get the gold star for today. The other, the other part of that is Jesus is God. Yeah. He's, he sent his son. He knew it. He knew his son was going to be Yeah. So you could say he did sacrifice his son. Or you could say he didn't. <laughs> right? Uh, but you, yeah, so, uh, but that, that is, that is how that that is traditionally dealt with. I mean, Jesus in the garden, what's he praying? To the Father, let this cup pass for me. But not my will, but yours be done. What was the will of God? Did he lay down his life for humanity? No doubt about it. But he still had the choice. Still had it. So, that kid, those kids that are getting sacrificed to Molech in the Old Testament, do they have the choice? Nope. Not at all. Seems like the the story of the woman, the the the, the young woman 
Seems like she had a choice. You know, if I would have been her and, and my dad would have given me two months to go, uh, hang out in the, in the, in the woods, I would have just found a different way out of the woods. Right? Uh, but nonetheless, that's a crazy story for sure. What else? What are your other questions? Save the hard questions for you, Steve. <laughs> it's okay. Bring them on. Hopefully my answers aren't too too trite. Well, so we learned a lot of stuff today, hopefully. But what does it mean when we walk out that door? Because where is the temple of God now? It's right here. It's right here. And God will place today, Cade, It's your work. God is going to place people in your path today that need to know the character and nature of God. Right? And it's here. And instead of what our, our, our broken human nature invites us to judge people. Right? Well, regardless of who crosses your path, I would encourage you today to resist the temptation to judge. And instead, commit to knowing them and reflecting God's compassion, His graciousness, His slow to anger, His abounding in love, and His faithfulness to them. By the way that you treat them, by the way that you ask them questions, by the way that you seek to know more about their life. This is how people are transformed. It's really not rocket science. But we live in a world, in a culture, that is committed to judging. That's it. Pointing fingers. Followers of Jesus, because the presence of the Holy Spirit is here, the temple is here. Our calling is to welcome. Because all people are. Right? How's that for a challenge? All right. Lord, I pray that today that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear the hurt and the pain of people who are far away from you. And Lord, that you will give us the courage to step towards them. Knowing that the same Spirit that has saved us, the same wisdom that is captivating our hearts, can captivate them as well. Why you have entrusted us with this work, I'm not sure. But Lord, we want to serve you. And so today, God, free us from judgmentalism and free us for sharing your character. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Love you guys. Grace and peace. Thank you, Mr. Bentley, but congratulations.